0: You're about to join Jerry Parker, Moritz Siebert, and Niels Kostrup-Larsen on their raw and honest journey into the world of systematic investing, and learn about the most dependable and consistent, yet often overlooked, investment strategy. Welcome to the Systematic Investor Podcast Series. Jerry
1: Parker, Moritz Siebert, and I, Niels Kostrup-Larsen, are delighted to be back with this week's edition of the Systematic Investor Series which is our weekly open-ended and pretty raw exploration of the world of rule-based investing and where we also take some of your questions. So uh, good morning, Jerry. Good morning. Or should I should say good afternoon to you, Moritz. How are you? I'm doing fine. Hi, Niels. How are you? Good morning. Very well. Good morning, Jerry. So a uh, interesting start to the new year. Lots of action uh, in this first week. And of course, finishing off with a pretty volatile Friday after the unemployment numbers came out. Sadly, I think the move seemed to be against most trend followers positions, but we'll talk about that, I'm sure, in, in a little while. Um, but why don't we just tee up as we normally do with uh, sort of a quick review of what happened last week. And then as promised last week, we said we were going to spend a little bit more time on talking about 2018 uh, as um, for, for the year, give uh, our more detailed uh, comments to that so we'll definitely do that before we get back into the usual um topic so Moritz if I can come to you first um first week of Jan um how was that
2: first week of Jan yes um for a change that has been a good week um even though I'm not sure if uh, saying for a change is right because December has been good also for me but um, um, so this past week, I mean, I'm long the bonds pretty much in, in, you know, all the countries, uh, us, Japan, Australia, Canada, UK, uh, Germany, and, and those made really good, good money. Um, of course the, uh, uh, the exception to that is, is yesterday, uh, when right. most of those bonds dropped again, but, but, you know, overall for the week, it's still been a good trade. Um, I'm short the Australian dollar since uh, quite a while. That's a, a gift that keeps on giving. Mm-hmm. So that's good. Um, got shorter on oil. You know that was one of the. I, I remember us talking about that, where you know when it started selling off, uh, we were saying, well, we're not short yet. And I think in general, some were saying that trend followers have been late to jump on that on that trend. Um, but then, you know, it kind of like looked at as if, as if it were bumped out at like 50 and still it went lower. So that made money. Um, I'm now short the equities pretty much across the board. Uh, again, good good trade this past week. So uh, not complaining at all. Um, of course, there's also you a know, few free, free losers. Um, still have a short silver position on and that doesn't look so good, but. Uh, well, what can you do? Natural gas, again, um, still, still a bit long there. Um, that was a loser. So um, well, that's
1: it. It's always nice to have a good start to the year. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty volatile. I would say overall, um, the first uh, few days of the year for us were pretty good. Um, you know, somewhat similar uh, markets that uh, that you mentioned, certainly making money from From uh, the fixed income moves uh, to the upside and then uh, the short side of of, uh, equities Um, but of course you know big reversals uh, yesterday uh, which pretty much for us gave back the week and a little bit more um, but nothing too dramatic and also uh, generally speaking because of the increased volatility and the increased correlation in our portfolio we tend to um, you know that that triggers essentially our risk budget uh, being lowered uh, automatically. So, uh, yeah. So overall, I would say you know uh, at the end of the week it looked like a quiet start to the new year, but certainly during the week there were uh, lots of action, and it'll be um, it'll be super interesting to see um, whether these uh, moves are just corrections uh, on the back of, of of a bit of news and some good data. Um, because that would be you know if it's not a correction if this is really starting to the beginning of a turn then yet again within a pretty short period of time we're having another big transition uh, in both fixed income and and equities so uh, which is never easy to uh, to handle for for trend following systems so it'll be It'll be super interesting to see what 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 happens going forward. But um, yeah, overall, relatively quiet at the end of the week, but with lots of volatility a week. Um, how about you, Jerry? What was uh, what was it like uh, for you?
3: Similar, of course, um, except in the stocks where would, the single stocks I can still find a few that are that i still long. So uh, I'm on the opposite side of I like it when the Stocks go up. I'm still net long, so that uh, helped me yesterday, but a lot of counter-trend action this week, especially Friday, currencies and metals. So um, no sustainable trends. I'm too diversified. I have markets go up for me, and then I have some that I lose money in, so nothing sustainable and fun. Unfortunately, my prediction a few weeks ago about what was going to happen in natural gas. I think I bought contract highs and I think I exited at contract lows. So, uh, unfortunately it feels really bad. I think, uh, that's okay. You know, to, to have a system that makes you feel bad as long as it's going with the trend and taking small losses. But, uh, you know, we all kind of prefer to have a, not to give back almost all or of that nice profit that, um, Made a performance look a lot better earlier this year. Yeah, I
1: mean it's interesting. Um, you mentioned that. I mean, what actually made us the most money last week was uh, Japanese government bonds. And if you think about that, and you think about how low interest rates are in in, in Japan, uh, a lot of people who were just coming maybe at a, at the market from a from a non rule based uh, point of view would say, well, how can it possibly be profitable to still be long, you know, JDBs? Um, so, so you're absolutely right. I mean, we just don't know what's gonna what's gonna happen, and and the the thing that we need to do, and the thing that investors uh, pay us to do, is to follow the process uh, wherever it takes us. So, uh, yeah. Now, we did promise last week to uh, do a little bit more in depth analysis, or at least talk about um, 2018 as a year um, because it was one of those years where I don't think many, if any, um, of the typical asset classes that we uh, as investors overall uh, follow uh, made money. Um, Certainly was very few and far between. And so it was a very unusual year. And um, so why don't we talk a little bit about that and how You know the three kinds of trend following that we practice um uh, you know fared through through the year from maybe a little bit about which markets were interesting or maybe some overall themes that changed during the year um can i start out with you as usual uh, moritz and 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 see how because yeah You also did the best of the three of us anyway, so... The best being down minus (laughs) 3.8. Exactly, you know, small losses sometimes can feel pretty good. Yeah, so uh, minus
2: 3.8. So my system um, didn't handle the equity indices very well, it seems, uh, in 2018. Of course, there has been, you know, a long position, um, and and that was profitable, especially in the U.S. markets. That was a very nice and clean-up trend at the beginning of the year, pretty much continuing um, throughout the summer. Of course, you know, February was tough, um, but then we had red October. And you know, when I sum it all up, um, equity indices—they've produced the largest uh, loss uh, in the portfolio. Um, the, the largest loser, FTSE, followed by the DAX, followed by the SPYs, that's the Australian market. Um, so that, that hasn't been that good. Um, in terms of the currencies, uh, it's been long the US dollar against pretty much any other currency. Um, and that's been a good, good trade for the first half of the year. Um, you know, I remember making good money by being along uh, the US dollar against the Australian dollar, that's still the case. That's still a good trade. Nice trend. I like being in. Um got a bit tougher now toward the end of the year, with uh, the Japanese yen being the classical safe haven currency. Um short the yen, so took a took a, a hit there in December. Um energies, yeah, relatively late to jump on the short oil trade. Um, but believe it or not, still made a bit of money there. Um, So like that, Uh, natural gas had that breakout, I remember, Uh, I think we were all in that buying natural gas, Uh, unfortunately turned around. That wasn't good. Um, Precious Metals made money in 2018. Uh, Got a, uh, you know, changed a short gold position into a long gold position that was good timing. And then the biggest winners, the bonds. Um, and I really like the way the system handled those bonds uh, throughout the year, um, being being short pretty much in you know, not not all of the markets. Still had some long positions on throughout the year in Germany and Japan, uh, but you know certainly have been short uh, the the U.S. bonds across the spectrum, different durations, and probably just at the right point in time changed that back to long, um, and so that made. Uh, the largest contribution to the portfolio
1: interesting very interesting i mean we certainly saw a few themes happening as well i mean starting out the year incredibly long equities and actually long long on the uh, fixed income side as well and and then we started seeing these shifts in in exposure overall exposure i mean we went short uh fixed income mainly u.s fixed income um, but it took our overall exposure uh, short relatively early on in the year, which um, you know did well and certainly helped uh, you know deal with some of the uh, challenges and equities. Which of course you know uh, end of January, early February was you know where the biggest uh, losses were recorded. Also the biggest wins in January for sure, but we certainly paid that back in 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 February and. And, um, and then, you know, the, the big shift for us was again, later on in the year where we saw fixed income for a, for a, for a short while flipping to the long side. Uh, this could have been driven by some of the short-term interest rate contracts um, as they have quite large, um, you know, nominal values. Um, but from the information I'm looking at, we had that flip. And then we went back on the short side from fixed income pretty much until, Sort of November time when fixed income started to rally, and and that has taken us, uh, you know, from being pretty short to to uh, to going long um, around December time overall. Um, so that meant we added to our European longs, which had been long, I think, pretty much all year, and then the U.S. shorts uh, flipped uh, towards the end of the year, and that took the whole interest rate sector, um, uh, you know, to the to the long side, and and that certainly you know made some money for us um but still as like with you um uh, more it's um, you know specific us markets uh, in on in, in, in on the bond side didn't do well and also uh, uk fixed income the long guild didn't do well for us uh, last year equities you know so quite a mixed back, by the way i should say that's one thing i i've noticed which was unusual uh, in my opinion is we had very much um very diversified positions even within the same sectors. so we we certainly saw on the fixed income that both long and shorts were on depending on which region of the world uh, at the same time which is a bit unusual you have more normally more of a synchronized move in fixed income but not this year or not 2018. Um, a little bit the same picture in the us uh, on the equity side and versus europe uh us equities we 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 Kind of stayed long for the most of the year until uh recently uh, a few weeks back um, but the U- european fixed income t- uh, sorry equities turned much much earlier so we we actually ended up making money in things like the dax uh, for the year and but did lose money in most other uh equity markets and um, currencies were mixed there were a few winners a few losers but overall i think pretty flat and um, and then on the commodity side, I agree with you. I mean, certainly a bit slow to get into the short side, and and also, you know, a bit timid in terms of positioning in the on the short side of a, of energies. Uh, but net gas overall for the year did well. We actually overall made money in crude and unleaded, but we lost a little bit in heating oil and gas oil. But overall, probably a flat uh, year for for uh, energies and then um yeah biggest winner for last year was sugar no sorry coffee coffee followed by sugar uh which is you know pretty interesting i mean that's i think part of the diversification people like with ctas is that we can you know pull out you know profits from markets that many people don't trade so that was interesting on the other hand, we did pay uh, dearly in some of the other commodities, mainly the grains. The grains were very difficult to trade for us, so uh, that's where we probably had the most concentrated uh, loss, meaning that pretty much all of the grains except for soybeans, uh, soybean oil actually um, did poorly. And then mixed back in meats and uh, yeah, same as you, made money in precious metals, um, pretty flat in base metals. So, a mixed year, overall, obviously, a tough year for us. Um, you know, we raised the returns from 2017, um, but you know, it's just it's just one year in a in a, in a much longer time frame. And uh, and again, what I would say just to to put these things in perspective, when we talk about performance and trend followers' performance in general, and people might say, oh, that's not so nice if you're down, you know, five, ten, fifteen percent, whatever it might it might be. But when you take that performance and you adjust for the volatility of our strategies versus the volatility of equities, then equities actually had, or uh, you know, at least compared to us, equities are in a bigger drawdown at the end of um, December on a volatility adjusted basis than than we are, even though we had a bad year. And I think people need to realize that, that being down 10% for equities with a low volatility is actually, quote unquote, a bit more risky than being down 10% for a uh, you know, a trend following strategy certainly that we follow where you normally have much bigger swings uh, and, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, that was kind of how we saw the year uh, on our side um, and, uh, yeah, look forward to 2019 and see what opportunities will arise. How about you, Jerry? You probably saw 2018 slightly differently maybe to Moritz and, and us, but um, how, how, how did it play out?
3: Oh, it's really painful to listen to all that. Um, I need to get 18 behind me. Uh, you know, I think one of the ideas, though, was there was just a lot of counter-trend action. Um, <clears throat> no long-term trends. Coffee was a good trade. Uh, it's kind of, uh, a, a s- sort of a sign that when CTAs talk about their best trades being shorts, the majority of the portfolio maybe being short, that, that probably was going to be difficult to be a good year. Um, 2014 was an exception, of course, but uh, we've got to get some longs going and get some uh, bull markets with low volatility, and we just haven't seen that in quite a while. There's pockets, you know, palladium was good. Um, emissions was a, probably the best trade trend of the year. Try to focus on some positives here, but it was just a lot of counter trend. Uh, the I, w- I just looked at some of the my individual stock charts. And um, yeah, maybe it was a negative on the stocks for the year, but some of those trends were really large and multi-year trends. So there were good trades, but not good performers in 18. So I think that's, uh, our bottom line should be, how did I handle the trade? Was the trade itself great and that I might did it seem like uh, my system did a fairly good job of ca- when there were trends? Uh, you know, did I botch it or did it do a fairly good job? And so, uh, and not so much. Uh, well, how did it do in 18 or f- for a particular month? I've definitely had clients ask me over the years. Uh, and I came in one year when <clears throat> a client in January, and the client asked me, uh, <clears throat> "You're losing. You're down for the year so far. Maybe it's February too." And then your biggest loser is sugar and i'm like sugar i mean that's like one of the best trades i've had in years and so they're so focused on no not not the trade but this month can you help me this month and i'm like no i can't help you at all i crushed sugar i made more money in sugar than anyone else it's it's an a plus oh but not for this year so you got to try to get beyond that and kind of ignore that
1: yeah definitely and also uh I mean, I think that a lot of the the, the, the discussion last year was, of course, the, the fact that, you know, uh, it's the thing about diversification, right? Um, you know, diversif- diversification works eventually, but people expect it to work all the time. And and I think that's, that's the challenge that you're also referring to here, that, I mean, people shouldn't judge these strategies based on a month or a quarter, even a year's performance. And we certainly won't deliver you know, quote unquote, and and also people should, I think, also understand that that, that, that diversification doesn't mean that we can flip negative returns into positive returns. It just means that we will overall help people to avoid really, really nasty experiences, um, you know, over the long run. Um, But last year was, as I started out by saying, one of those years where not many strategies did well. So diversification didn't really work to some extent um and we have to accept that it's it doesn't work all the time
2: jerry has just mentioned a uh, a very interesting contract the emissions contract which was such a nice trend uh this past year and even even before that until it sold off so heavily i think in october um had a couple of days where it's like minus seven minus eight percent of course that market is correlated to to power to energies but so this looking at that market, you know, that was a, um, a great long position. So made money from that. But ever since that sell off, um, the behavior of that market has apparently changed. So when I calculate the volatility of that market for the past three months, four months, it is now much, much higher than it used to be. That that trend is kind of like, you know, flatlining now. I think we're at twenty four ish, something like that uh, per tonne and remember once at that discussion about, you know, volt targeting, of course, we spoke a lot about volt targeting. So this is one of the things where I still have that trade on um, with the original position size. And I'm seeing that, you know, more pronounced now in my portfolio, because just that market has started to become more volatile. I hear it has to do with a possible Brexit and and what that means for the contract and the uh, European Union emission trading scheme they have there but so that's that's uh that's definitely a market I'm uh, I'm watching right now
1: yeah yeah good stuff um hopefully that was helpful just for people to um, get a little bit of color to 2018 so why don't we jump back to our usual rhythm and uh, find out what Jerry's top tweets were in this first week of uh, of January and any other good stuff that we all came across uh in the uh in the sort of the industry news flow um in the past few days um but let's start out with you jerry what uh what got a lot of attention maybe a lot of love from
3: uh, from your tribe this this past week not a lot going on this week holidays maybe it was my fault um one of my favorites didn't get a lot of no one else thought it was that great, but uh, quoting uh, David Harding reviewing two thousand nineteen uh, eighteen, uh, his quote is: "We have become famous as, as a trend follower. That's a great thing. It gives you this reputation and franchise, but it's also a bit of a prison." And my comment was: "Lock me up." Hmm. <laughs> um, but I think uh, there was a couple of uh, good tweets this week. Uh, good articles that I tweeted, and they had the same. Uh, philosophy, and it's the same subject. It's two different people talking about the same thing, and it's really in our wheelhouse. This is red meat for all of us trend followers. Okay. So my people loved this idea <clears throat> and uh, a couple of times, and this was a quote from a very famous hedge fund person and uh, fundamental value, I suppose, and of course everyone knows but me, because I make a point of not really knowing that anything outside of what I do, pretty much. Um, And his quote is, in a rational environment, my strategy functions well. But in an irrational market where blah, 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 takes a backseat to clicks and momentum, my logic does not count for much. And Mm. of course, we think that's really ridiculous. Um, Mm. We follow prices. We are perfectly happy that your logic your, your way of looking at these fundamental metrics and analysis that have worked for hundreds of years, oh, they're not working anymore? Yeah, we told you that. We told you you should follow price and expect um, relationships and fundamentals that have looked like they've worked in the past to maybe not work. And uh quit trying to be an expert on stocks or long stocks or value and follow prices, follow trend and expand your portfolio to hundreds of markets, currencies, commodities, stocks, bonds, long, short and force yourself to look at price only because this will not be the last time that your quote unquote logic. And it's sort of like an arrogant thing too, where we get beat up and hopefully the trend followers say, yeah, uh, I got beat up and I need to Improve my system or stick with it, and uh, it's it's not it's our fault. Kind of, we're not blaming the rest of the world for our <clears throat> ideas and our trading not working. And it's just it's a road that leads to nowhere.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, there's no point in making excuses. Um, but it's interesting because I think a lot of the quote-unquote big stars in 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 sort of the non-quant world that a lot of people love because they can put. A story behind their investments and that seems to be doing well in uh, on the uh, financial media but they didn't do so well last year either and there are some big names with some big losses um and um, and there are quite a few you know closures of fun of people who've been around for a long time and and it's this thing about you know have things change will this you know never work again etc etc but i mean in our case We're kind of used to things not working because they don't really work most of the time but they suddenly work really well and if you're not used to that um and if you're not used to maybe dealing with losses and 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 so on and so forth then it can sometimes um lead to people um bailing ship and 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 closing down which is really not nice for 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 clients um You know, if a fund um, closes down uh, at the bottom of a drawdown, so to speak. Um, But of course, better than continuing if if really they have no uh, ability of of making money again. But um, interesting, interesting. What else um, attracted some attention?
3: I think the second uh, article I tweeted on the same subject is worth uh, reading as well. And it goes like this when someone says it makes no sense that. Really, what they're saying is this. I have a dozen logical reasons why XYZ should be going higher, but it keeps going lower. Therefore, that makes no sense. But really, what makes no sense is their model of the world, right? So I know when that happens that there's some other very powerful reason why XYZ keeps going lower that trumps all the, quote, logical reasons, unquote. I think that sort of humbleness of, of um, approaching the markets is uh, the essence of risk control, yeah, which is what we, we should be doing with our systems and diversification. And uh, it's fine. I think uh, approaching the markets like we do that we really can't predict. Uh, we really don't know. We're not the smartest person on the planet. No, these markets are crazy and wild. And if anything, historical patterns and relationships are there to fool us and uh, get us suck us into thinking this is going to continue in the future. We know better. I do think that we can fall into the same trap of uh, expanding a little beyond price only into maybe relationships and filters and things that make common sense that should help our trend following that really could be a little counter trend or a little overfitting. Uh, back in the day, filter was a bad word for uh, turtle traders because it sort of signified that, uh, well... You can filter out trades and not take certain trades. And of course that could be death to the trend follower to uh filter yourself out of a long term a big long term trend. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Any thoughts, uh Moritz on your side about these things?
2: Yeah, uh agree with all of that. Also, um looking at some of the tweets, there's one that I liked is uh It's an innate tendency of humankind to project the present state of things into the future indefinitely. In so doing, we create one of the most important and exploitable market anomalies, momentum. That is Jerry's tweet. I think you retweeted that from where you found it somewhere. And um, that's so true. I think that is the nature of humankind. Um, You project the current present state into the future indefinitely. You think, you know, it's all going to be rosy. We're All going to be bad, and that creates that momentum. I agree with that. And another yeah. one I liked is the one by Cliff Asnes. Um, what did he say? I think 2018 felt crappy, and then when asked to, to expand on that, he said uh, it
3: felt significantly crappy. <laughs> yeah, he's the best. Still blocked, but still, yeah, I think he's
1: still trying. Just
3: great. I mean, uh, the David Letterman of uh, <clears throat> finance incredibly yeah. smart person. Yeah.
1: He had a great, uh, well, not a great, but he certainly also uh, took up an issue with someone tweeting this week about, I think it was an article like out, and I can't remember, is it JP Morgan or Nomura, whether this guy has made a name for kind of coming out and suggesting that, you know, all these quant funds are the ones creating the problems for the markets and creating the sell-offs and all of that. And, and he was just basically saying, you know, instead of just making these claims, I mean, show us the evidence and, and so on and so forth. And I I want to make the same point that I think I did last week. I mean, a lot of what's happened in the last few weeks where we see big sell-offs in equities, I don't think has anything to do with what we are doing because most trend followers have been short for a while now. But I think it has a lot to do with these passive funds where they see their flows and the flows have suddenly turned uh, you know, to outflows instead of inflows. And the last week of the uh, of of, of these trading days, where they come in with their algos to basically adjust their portfolios, and and so this should not be confused with anything to do with uh, trend followers, in my opinion.
3: And I think, uh, but once again, we can find our own problems in uh, wanting things to be a certain way, <clears throat> and not um, paying attention to enough to a price only. So we have to be on guard for our weakness in, the, in this particular area. Another great uh, quote I picked up from one of my uh, – I'm follow, um, following a, a, a new person, and this guy's full of wisdom, and he's just fantastic. I find myself retweeting uh, quite a bit, um, and I can kind of see how I agree with this uh, quote uh, of his, which is, the most ironic risk in investing is education. The benefit of learning from experts is clear. The downside is sticking too closely to what's worked for others, and so lack of creativity in you. Great investing is learning the rules from experts and then bending them to your own. And my comment uh, on the retweet was, um, just good enough, no more. And I think that's sort of what Price is saying. Just good enough. Don't want to be too much better than that because maybe being better is an illusion it's overfitting it's too many filters it's getting away from a very diversified portfolio that's just looking at the price trends so once again i think um, said a different way maybe almost the same thing but um, and i think a lot of the sticking too closely to what's worked for others could be a problem in that do we really know what's worked for others Uh, were they lucky Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure I like the word bending, but it's more like uh, over the years, my worldview and what I believe in trading, I have learned a lot from others and copied others, but it still had to fit into my worldview and not violate all the other things I learned up to that point. I mean, I guess I could have been so far off base that maybe something could still do that. Um, but it is You do have to own it yourself and so often there's no really way to um, know exactly what other people are doing or know um, that you're even sticking close to what has worked for others because you really can't really even tell but I never dismissed ideas and that conflicted with my own over the years until I had uh, vetted them incredibly well and I essentially ended up adopting a lot of them and uh, reading interviews of traders and listening to the podcast and Top Traders Unplugged uh, is such a great educational uh, <clears throat> for traders, but uh, you have to be careful.
1: Yeah, and 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 I think we've made this point before, and that is there is no such things as the best system. I mean, um, just looking at performance numbers this year, I mean, there's a big spread between the the, the great systems and 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 the worst systems and it just shows that you know even if you're labeled a trend follower you we still do things differently um so there's no one right uh solution as long as you follow the rules and so on and so forth that's you know the process is 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 what you should focus uh, on um so yeah interesting stuff interesting stuff maybe to to um i mean you can go back to more tweets but one thing you shared with us uh, which I think was interesting was uh, this analysis by Jez um, about different trading models and how they had performed in 2018 and and so on and so forth and and he produces a, a lot of uh, you know good information on trend following and so on and so forth and I I don't know whether we should just talk a little bit about some of the conclusions um, from from that information I mean obviously we have no way of of uh, checking the 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 numbers uh, we, we we just take it for for face value but it certainly seemed like there was uh, a tendency to the uh, the shorter term uh different types of models um performing better last year compared to uh, the longer term models which certainly would be our experience as well but uh, did you did you um have a quick look at at what he shared and and uh, what what are your views on that?
2: I'm not surprised, I had a look. Um, so just to give some background on what we're looking at here, I think the, the firm Jez works for is, is his firms called Trading Blocks, and he analyzed um, a systematic uh, trend following system, I think trading 50 futures markets um, across different time frames and different styles. So he's looking at Bollinger Bank, uh, Bollinger Breakout System, a Channel Breakout System, dual moving average systems and triple moving average systems. So the triple moving average system, the difference there to a dual moving average system is that it has a neutral zone. It needs uh, it needs agreement between the moving averages. And then he looked at that over different time frames. You know, short term. I think starting at 20 days or even you know 10, 20 day moving average crossovers. So that's very short term. Um, all the way up to uh, to longer term time frames, 200 days and even more. And what you see there is that the shorter term systems, regardless of style, they all outperformed the longer term systems. And that that you know reflects what we've seen in this in this past year. I mean, I remember speaking about crude oil. You know, we haven't all been that quick on getting getting short there, whereas some of the short term traders they they got the turnaround there. Uh, pretty much instantly and, and you know, benefited from that. In general, the short-term traders did well, 2018 uh, versus the, the longer-term trend followers. So uh looks like an accurate uh, representation of what happened in the past year. And it also shows that diversification across timeframes and system styles is valuable because what Jazz also produces is the composite return. So I, I guess that's just the, the simple average across all the systems that he's analyzed, and that's plus seven and a half percent for the year. Um, so that's you know a mix of short-term, medium-term, and long-term trend-following systems.
1: Yeah, it was interesting to see that the worst-performing of all of them, I think, is probably the the most well-known, oh, and that plus. was the fifty. Yeah, the fifty-two hundred-day moving average. So, so that was interesting. Maybe uh, too many people are following that, um, but uh, anyways, yeah. Did you have some views? jerry or
3: i think this is uh the story of 18 is that uh, every now and then the uh, things that have worked over the longer period of time and worked the best they uh, will look poorly compared to uh parameters and systems that uh one uh, if doing a reasonable back test would never choose because they haven't made money let's say and so uh I think that short-term, had a, had a, and that's what I, when I think about 18, I see uh, the chart patterns that uh, historically would make one desire to trade longer term, which is a sell-off, let's say, but then a retracement back to new highs, uh, enough of the time or in a magnitude where the computer says you should be medium to long term, which is what the industry is built on and looks similar to the 20 by 500. Um, or t- twenty by fifty by two fifty or two hundred, um, <clears throat> you know the industry the CTAs are caught not trading those shorter term systems. Great because they don't really work over time. And sometimes uh, crappy stuff works, and it, and uh, it the good stuff doesn't work, or we're all wrong, and we need to transition back to shorter term. In other words, uh, that's fine too. I think trading as short term as possible is preferable, but not too short-term to where you don't make money. But if we're going to get it to a stage maybe where now trend following is going to be easy, we don't have to have these drawdowns that we suffer with the medium to long-term, and we're going to have these smooth trends, AI is going to come in and keep the markets right on trend for us, and the least little bit of rally to the 20-day high or the 50-day high, we know we should just get out, that's great, it's great for us. We can now go back to the 70s and 80s, Uh, I doubt that's going to occur. I doubt that's the right idea, but um, I certainly think other things in our firm that we uh, have added to our systems, slight tweaks with single stocks and longer term and a few other little things we look at, uh, they all failed miserably as compared to shorter term trend following with no bells and whistles, no added value. And it's tough, but uh, it's not to be unexpected. I've seen it before.
1: Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so that was uh, another uh, look at 2018 from a slightly different angle. So I think with that done, I think we should jump over to uh, take a few questions uh, that we have uh, that came in. And by the way, thanks for that. And uh, do keep uh, your questions coming. Just send them to info at toptradersonplugged.com or uh, tweet them uh, to uh, one of us. Uh, probably Jerry is the best one to tweet to because he is more on Twitter, I think, than, than uh, more than I am. But um, one way or another, get the questions to us and we will be delighted to discuss them. Um, now, uh, last week's by far winner in terms of questions was George and George has uh, kindly sent a couple of follow-up questions uh, for this week which is great appreciate it very much and he uh, asks uh, how much risk measured as a percent of portfolio um, to the stop trade? do you think the legends of the 70s and 80s were taking to generate their amazing returns well, Jerry,
3: a lot since you're one of the <laughs> since
1: you're one of the legends,
3: <laughs> a lot.
1: Let's hear yeah. it. Let's get the let's get the, the dirty secret
3: yeah. out. It's, it was a lot, no doubt. Um, also, think that during that period of time, we cannot uh, <clears throat> forget that uh, very short-term trend-following systems were working fine. So, once again, if <clears throat> if our stop, our trailing stop, and our stop loss is f- relatively close to the market and the systems have a positive expectation, and that's sort of what's needed in order to make 200% a year, which is what we did for four years. Uh, now things have, those systems and that time frame doesn't work any longer. So it's a little irrelevant. Uh, plus no one can, uh, even back then, I mean, I had a 60%, a negative 60% day once. Yeah, so I was still up true. 140 for the year so yeah. that's not uh, a business model i don't think and that strategy and style is totally gone so um, risky
1: and and i th- go ahead yeah no i was just going to say i think that that is an important point right that that the, the risk levels you're talking about uh, you know was was while you were in the turtle program not when you started taking on external clients money so it changes things when you uh, when you suddenly have to uh, deal with external investors who may have completely different risk tolerances. But I guess overall, maybe it's fair to say that even from the beginning of you taking on clients and other firms, I just don't have the numbers for done, so I can't really share. I don't know how to qualify that. But I think it's fair to say that probably the risks that we all take today is somewhat lower Um, compared to back then but I also want to caveat it by saying that what we've seen on our side is actually our annualized returns have increased compared to the long term including back you know the 70s and and 80s and so on and so forth so so one have to be careful it's not just about what is the you know the the risk per trade um, but it's also how how well we are uh, evolving as as risk managers, uh, um, you know, that helps uh, in that sense. Anything else you want to add, Jerry, since this was uh, something down your wheelhouse, I guess?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, very important to trade small and have a low vol, 10 to 12 or 15 or whatever you're comfortable yeah. with so you can stick with your system and you can keep your clients. Uh, yeah. So that I would well, turn my back on. Uh, we had, it was a magical time. It was not real life. And no. don't, don't think you can do that any longer. And I've said before on no. the podcast that the medium to long term systems have always worked better than those shorter term systems. Probably not in the sense that you wanted to try to make 200%, of course, but it's not like we've evolved into looking at recent data or data prior to the 90s or 2000s in order to uh, these medium to long-term systems, they do really well. And they've always done well. Yeah. We should have been trading these systems uh, from the get-go. Mm, true.
1: Maybe, uh, and maybe, Mart, you have some thoughts on the, the second question from George, Uh uh, which goes on to say, while each system and drawdown tolerance is different, what are your general thoughts on reasonable or unreasonable risk percentage, uh, you know, of AUM per trade? Do we have any any views on on that?
2: Uh, yes, I do have a view on that, but I can only speak for myself. I mean, you know, that number depends on uh, how much heat or risk you're willing. To take and accept, and uh, how firm and steadfast you are in your in your trading approach. Um, as far as I'm concerned, risking more than one percent. So that's one percent, right? Not 10, 1, Risking more than one—that's not for me on any given trade. And 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 I'm risking even a bit less than that. So yeah. so that is that is what I'm doing. Other people may be risking more per trade, maybe two percent, um, but. I wouldn't feel comfortable with that. Um, maybe at some point I will, but right now I I do not. Um, and of course, it also means that you know you have to have a system that allows you to size your positions as a uh, in in that way, right? So, say you have an average true range or R multiples, those type of things, then that works. Whereas you know some of the trend following or simpler trend following systems like. Say you have a moving average um that doesn't have a predefined stop because it will you know stay long or short until there's another cross of two moving averages then that is not that is not the type of system that you know this uh, um, calculations work with, but yeah, like i said i mean around around one a bit less for me mm-hmm.
3: I think it's just um it's a part of the back test and part of us mm, choosing different parameters you'll get different seemingly different answers but you can trade fifty markets, or forty markets, or hundred markets, thinking that you can even risk fifty basis points in every energy trade: crude, heating oil, unleaded, Brent, and gas oil. Oh, I'm only risking fifty basis points. No, you're risking a lot more than fifty. It's the same yes. trade basically, and so it depends on your back test and your stop loss. Are you how many? Uh, what's your? How close is your stop loss? You know, if your stop loss is one. Uh, one ATR away, and you're risking twenty five basis points. You know you're going to have a lot of losses. You're going to have a low win percentage. Uh, you're risking less than everyone else, but then why is your? Sure, are you eating at your capital quicker than anyone else? So all these things play into each other, and you have to uh, just really like. But I would say anything greater than one, I can't even imagine it. Uh, yes. So if you, that would violate. There's nothing you can. Massage with your systems or your back tests to go to one or two percent, but twenty-five to fifty—you know—I think that's probably where you want to be, uh, depending upon. Yeah, there
2: there are people out there that apparently trade at greater than one percent risk, and um, they're still out there and alive and kicking. (laughs) Of course, they produce more volatility. uh, one example there, I think, if I remember correctly, is, is Tom Basso. He, he said it. He's like he was risking less than a percent when he was uh, trading client money at Transtad. Um But ever since he closed it down and you know essentially returned to trading his own money, he said, "Well, I'm comfortable." He himself is comfortable in taking on more risk because he no longer has to answer to external clients. And if I recall that correctly, he's now trading at greater than one percent risk per trade. And of course, there have been like, you know, people then like say coder and and those that have probably uh, traded at much larger, larger risk sizes. Yeah.
1: And the other thing to remember, I think, is that, you know, even if you were running a simulation and a backtest uh, over a certain period of time, and you, you know, you used 1% risk per trade, and you said, yeah, no, I can withstand a drawdown of X, whatever it comes to, I mean, one should always be aware of that in the future that you probably will experience even bigger losses so don't don't think about whatever you see in a backtest as being oh it shouldn't it can't get any worse i mean it, it certainly can and i also would say that especially during these uh you know highly correlated uh, moves we've seen uh recently 2018 being uh you know a good example of that then some of these seemingly um you know diversified portfolios can be, become incredibly risky um, so so as as Jerry and Mord said you know don't 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 be too brave uh when it comes to to that um okay great stuff uh, on that then we have a question uh, let's do that as the last question there's a lot of sub questions in that i think i'm, I'm going to read all of it to you and then you can um pick up the the points you want to talk about uh, generally speaking now it's from michael and michael has um i should you know, um, I should say that he's generally <laughs> very supportive of of the uh, of the podcast and, and 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 very kind in in what he writes. But he does have uh, some provocative uh, questions that he that he wants to ask us. So I think we should take it in uh, with a bit of a. Uh, a, a smile when, when we hear them too, and, and not get too uh, excited about it, but but give him some a little bit of feedback and pushback maybe on on some of the things that he's uh, that he's talking about. So basically he's he's writing prerogatively speaking, why even bother to do research and backtest? I gather from your talks that one, you do not really want to do a lot of optimization because that might make the systems less robust two you don't believe that there is a perfect system three you do stick to your systems even if they do not make money for some years four the future will not be like the past anyways but different five some of the biggest trends might be happening in markets that uh, have not trended for years or even decades six the really big events black swans that may shape the biggest trends cannot be foreseen or backtested by definition and seven all the ctas are highly correlated amongst themselves anyways so the very exact methodology may not matter that much in the end so what are you actually looking for when doing research so thanks for those comments questions michael let's uh, Let's hear your thoughts. Um, Jerry, what, what are your thoughts about these
3: statements? Uh, that's got to be one of the best questions I've ever heard. I want to hire this guy for my research team. I agree with all of that, actually. Yeah. I, I definitely th- have said before, I think we should take as little from the back test as possible on mm-hmm. purpose. Uh, try to rely upon it as little as possible and the best way to do that is to concentrate almost exclusively on the trading statistics. Average win, average loss, average trade, win percentage, win loss ratio, and we're done. We're done right there. And uh, build that system with healthy internal stats. Be very careful about extrapolating the equity curve, historical back-tested equity curve that's produced, uh, don't I don't want to use that, um, but I want to look at those trade stats, and, uh, and that answers a lot of his questions. Um,
1: it does, but it it but 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 here, if I'm trying to um, maybe um, go a little dig a little bit deeper, um, it's not that I disagree with 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 your answer, but but trading stats comes from the backtest right so 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 we do backtesting to extract something even though we say don't rely too much on any one thing it's the overall stats that are important but of course every time we do a backtest we get a different set of stats so so if we're going to dig a little bit deeper and say what what is it really we're looking for in order to get to the stats that we feel comfortable with can you is there a way to explain that
3: um, well, one of the things that uh, you know, I've said many times is um, what we're getting from the back test is this is a, I'm choosing my words very carefully here. Uh, this is yeah. a pretty good place to buy. It's a pretty good place to sell. We're done. That's right. it. Um, now, I, and then I think um, another way, uh, another cliche that people throw out is, well, something along the lines of, well, if my max drawdown on the back test was X, so, I'll kind of know if I exceed that in the future, the system is broken. No. No, mm-hmm. no, no. It could be a lot worse than that. And you know that d- falls apart on many different levels that we don't have to get into. But uh, looking at history and how it's behaved and how CTAs have behaved and how we've done when the S&P goes up or down, and this is what I'm saying get away from. All you really know is it's a pretty good place to buy, a pretty good place to sell. The drawdown's could look a lot worse in the future, and uh, the future is not going to look like the past. The profit's going to come from different places. And then force yourself, this is a basic that I almost glossed over, because he also said, the tra- we trade markets that uh, haven't made money in the past. The future trades may come from markets that haven't made money in the past. Exactly. So when I say look at these trade stats, it's even worse than that. It's adding up all the trades in every market and every sector, and the longs and the shorts, and saying that is the number. You cannot you can't and, split the longs and the shorts out. You can't split the currencies. You know, I was on the phone the other day, and someone was saying to me, "This is I know I'm I know that in, on subjects like this." no one agrees with me. I've never had anyone say, oh my God, that is just amazing. <laughs> so <laughs> I am very, I have lots of experience in, and I, maybe I even desire this. I'm just seeking out areas where I can get no one to agree with me. It feels like that sometimes. But someone brought it up to me, You know, shorts are different. Mm, interesting. Uh, sh- yeah. Short stocks are way different. You have to have a way different way of attacking this. I know for, I am 100% confidence that if I looked at the short stocks and broke them out, I'd see a much different uh, patterns and the system that maybe I should trade with that would look a lot different, the parameters, than the other shorts or the other markets. But it gets to the heart and the core of what we do, which is, not doing things like that. We want a large sample size, and we sort of say, you know, all of these trades, long and short, every sector, every market, it's the same. It's the exact same. No market or or sector or position has a certain personality and historical pattern that I should pay attention to. And so this is where I am. I'm. I love this guy. I love this question. He's 100% right. I, I need to. I need to get yeah. it in writing. Please forward it to me. I Weird. love it.
1: Absolutely. Sure. And and I think if I'm going to interpret what you're saying and then maybe sort of um, uh, round it off and I, I want to hear your views as well, Moritz. I think what you're saying is that we kind of look at these back test results and once we get to what you also tweeted, um, once we get to good enough, we shouldn't worry too much. And and in a, in, a, in a roundabout way, what, what I think you're saying, Jerry, is that we just want to make sure from these different backtests that we're not doing something completely stupid, meaning we picked something that
3: has never made money. That's right.
1: Is yeah. that?
3: Yeah. yeah. That's okay. that's another good okay. way of putting it. What I have chosen, I'm very humble about, and uh, but look at that track record still, I'm very humble mm. about it. And... It, at least i do know that it has at least worked in the past is it going to work in the future don't know i have multiple sure. entries multiple exits different parameters so i'm not even buying into that i have uh, that i'm going to choose the best performer or choose or trade that only so i i, I get nervous when moritz doesn't talk so Please comment. So let's hear
1: from Moritz. Let's let's get the wise oh, words from our uh, sensible German friend. Uh,
3: oh God, I, uh, you! Uh, I think
2: you uh, you summed it up uh, real nice. I like that question too. I think the, the core question is why bother doing research. And it's kind of like, okay, I, I could be just sitting here and uh, be done and and trade, say, a simple two hundred day moving average system and never look at that again. Now, what what I do in my research is, um, and we've had that on that podcast before is like, we have our trend following commandments, which we must never violate, right. So within that framework, I'm looking at things um, that that may impact the system and potentially improve it. I heard uh, you guys speak about when I was off skiing for the week, I heard you guys speaking about um, forcing forcing the stop to become closer to, to, uh, to the market as a function of time, right? So you have a two year trend, you have a three year trend that's ongoing, and maybe then you, you change your stop, and uh, you kind of like you force you force a close out and a profit taking things like that. I've looked at things such as, if I've entered a trend, say I'm entering a trend on the long side, and that trend starts, you know, the, it, it, the trade starts working. Um, you know, it goes goes in the direction I wanted to go for the first five days for the first 10 days, does that mean anything? Is there maybe value in saying, okay, I'm now going to give that trade a bit more room, um, and maybe not tighten the stop up if say you're using a trailing stop methodology, because maybe it now has a greater probability of working than other trades didn't find that to be correct but it's those type of things that you know i look at um i want to see if they make sense and to what extent they impact those very important statistics that jerry mentioned i think they are extremely important it's not you're not done by looking at the shop ratio of your system i think that's pretty meaningless or just the maximum drawdown of course you want to see what the maximum drawdown is but none of that is really informative you want to have the the full statistics, um, number of trades, average, average gain, average loss, those type of things. And you want to see what what your new research does to those statistics and how they're being impacted. What does volatility control do to your average loss, things like that, right. Um, And, and that is, I think, very important research, most of the time, um, that research uh, I don't want to say it leads to nothing because it leads to a very valuable result. The result is don't do anything. Don't implement it. But by you know doing the research and committing yourself to it, doing it within our you know trend following context without violating our commandments, it kind of like you know we're forcing ourselves to be open-minded, exploring new things. but kind of like you you go back to the center of where you started and you come to realize, just as Jerry said, it's it's just good enough um and probably that just good enough is the best that you can get
1: yeah i mean uh, could we even go as far as summing it up to say that a lot of research and a lot of the things we do is to find the things that doesn't work so that we exactly. end up focusing on things yeah. that actually work but not necessarily is the best but it just works and it's good
3: enough yeah i think there's some truth to that yeah and and to yeah, some definitely. degree you know, when looking at alternatives and hearing what other people do, you know, the if you normalize the return, the you know your potential return based upon the back test, let's say we have two traders that they're conservative, they have lots of assets under management, and, and they're both trying to make about 10% a year, or right? about you know, a low 10 vol or 12 vol or something like that. So what is the outcome then of adding things and over fitting or optimizing or just making it a little bit better you know you'd have a little bit smaller drawdown yeah so one guy's going to make 10 with a 10% drawdown one will make 10 with a 14% drawdown it doesn't mm. really you know really and then you're going to put yourself like uh, in more of a wobbly less of a solid foundation Yeah. it doesn't add up it's I'm, we're going to make the same amount of money uh, I'm my drawdown will be a little bit Larger, and I could be wrong. You know, you could have been 100% correct that you didn't overfit. You didn't add a parameters that you shouldn't have. You were right. Uh, I should have done the same thing with ball targeting or take profits or whatever little minor thing that I would complain about. Eh, but you know, I had a great career as well, and my drawdown was my max drawdown was 4% more. I think that's a pretty yeah. reasonable trade-off if you're conservative. Uh, and you would rather err on the side of, of uh, ironically, you know, you, you will have a system that has more volatility, but you've actually erred on the side of conser- being conservative. Yes,
1: uh, absolutely. And um, I think still it goes back to this um, view that I don't think many people uh, realize or, or agree with, and that is in, in many respects um, what we do uh, as managers, what we do as an industry is actually a lot less risky, uh, than many of these passive investments that people seem to love. Um, and, um, and so, yeah, oh, if I could just
3: comment on that. i I agree totally. Uh, we have a, a few minutes ago when you were talking, I wanted to say something like, uh, you know, with the. The more markets you trade, and the better the systems are, and if you add single stock futures and you know and diverse markets and different multiple entries and exits, your performance will just get less extreme, less on the upside, less on the downside. That's the theory, mm-hmm. right? So, I'm going to be a lot more boring than most people because I trade. I'm not going to be number one very often. I'm not going to be in last place very often although I'm giving it a shot, I think, uh, these days. But I think that's kind of where we want to be, and as an industry, that's exactly right. You can't get more diversification, you can't get more risk control. Oh, darn, we messed up, because our vol is higher than the stock market. It's higher that we have to make excuses for our vol sometimes, and then our volatility and our bigger losses and our bigger bigger, uh, wins They're usually just going to be due to that. They're going to be due to we take on more risk. So that's kind of we kind of shot ourselves in the foot by not, um, you know, as I've said before, the S and P is a roughly an eight percent strategy, eight percent per year with a fifty-plus drawdown. So we should have a product. We our main fund should have started from day one to mimic that eight percent with maybe a fifteen or twenty percent drawdown. But we were like, oh no, that's leaving money on the table. Let's go for 15 or 20. <laughs> so then we we're down 40. Yeah. And as you said to start the podcast, well, you know, we're at risk adjusted. We're not that bad. Well, that's a really tough sell. You know, dude, I'm down 20. Yeah. I mean, you know, tell me why again, I'm not down 20. Oh no, you're down 20. Sorry about that. But just know one of these days I'm going to make it up on the, on the upside. And that's just difficult.
1: But, I mean, we shouldn't forget that, of course, the the, the market that people tend to love like equities, I mean, you know, the S&P was down 9% in December alone, I think it was. It was the worst December since 1931. So it's not like these markets don't have the ability to uh, lose a lot of money uh, in a short space of time. And, you know, the S&P was certainly uh, at one point down more than 20% from its recent high and... And I think that is more than any of the CTA indices uh, have been for ever, really. So, yeah, we, um, yeah maybe we <laughs> sometimes get ourselves into a little bit of a, a model by, um, by just choosing the way we, we describe things. Um, but uh, we're certainly going to try to change that worldview Uh, With our little podcast here. So uh, thanks so much again uh, to Michael and uh, George for the questions. Keep them coming. Um, Send them to info at toptradersonplug.com or tweet them to Jerry. And we will try and do that. And if you are listening to this uh, podcast episode um, before Monday the 7th of January, so uh, essentially later on today, Saturday, or tomorrow, Sunday. I will be interviewing uh, a really, really interesting uh, person on Monday, namely Andrew Lowe, kind of the inventor of the adaptive market hypothesis and a really, really smart guy. Um, So if you have any questions that you can quickly send over to me that you think would be interesting, I will try. And uh, bring those up. Um, but otherwise, I hope you'll tune in and listen to that episode once it's ready, because I think he has uh, an enormous amount of wisdom to, to share. Um, you know. Anyways, let me just uh, run down a few performance numbers here for the first week of January. Now, again, as usual, these are as of Thursday evening, so not including Friday's big move. So they're probably a little bit more positive than where the week Uh, ended in practice, but let's just run through it. Obviously, the month-to-date is also the year-to-date, so let me just run through month-to-date. We have the BTOP50 index up 57 basis points, so 0.57. SockGen CTA index up 0.82. SockGen trend up 1.17. And the uh, SockGen short-term traders index up 0.99%. And then the bridge alternatives was up 0.13% for 2019 so far, the first three trading days uh, at least. Um, Any closing thoughts, um, Jerry Moritz, um, that we should uh, think about? Well, maybe I'll throw out one thing that we, just to, you know, see what the, maybe we get a reaction from our listeners uh, to this. But one of the things we have been talking about and seeing if we, um, and let's see if, if that's something you guys think would be uh, interesting. And that is also to con- simultaneously, I should say, simultaneous to recording the podcast. We were thinking of doing it um, on a Facebook Live as well, um, so that you had the opportunity to engage a bit more real time. Uh, obviously, we do our recordings generally on a Saturday or a Sunday. Uh, sort of early morning Eastern time. Um, so that's one thing we were thinking about uh, doing uh, in 2019. So if you if you think that could be great, if it could be fun um, or, or not for that matter, let us know one way or the other um, because we want to experiment and, and see if there's other ways we can create uh, value for you guys um, and maybe having a more live interaction with you and uh, taking your questions on the fly, maybe um, that would be uh, something that you like. So what else, Jerry Moritz, that you think we should bring up before we close down for this
2: week? Important thing to bring up is a belated happy new year,
3: everyone, and uh, cheers to happy trading.
1: Yeah, definitely. Cheers to happy trading.
3: Yes, I agree. I don't think I should add anything else. Uh, happy trading and. stick to your systems yes
1: absolutely absolutely
3: well on that note
1: we're going to wrap up this week's conversation and we hope you enjoyed it Uh, as you know by now we certainly enjoy making them for you and as usual I'm going to finish off by saying that if you get some value from these conversations we do really would like you to share uh, with your own followers and, and 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 spread the word because not only would it help us uh, and and find other people to discover the systematic investor series, but on a personal note, I actually think the next few years can be incredibly important for investors around the world. Um, It can probably either make or break you. So if you don't have a true diversified portfolio, if you don't have good rules to follow one way or the other, um, I think it can be uh, a really tough period for, for investors out there. So there are many reasons why we, we ask you to to share and review the uh, podcast. And thank you for to all of those of you who have already done so. From Jerry, Moritz and me, thanks so much for listening. And we do look forward to being back with you next week.
0: Thanks for listening to the Systematic Investor podcast series. If you enjoy this series, go on over to iTunes and leave an honest rating and review. And be sure to listen to all the other episodes from Top Traders Unplugged. If you have questions about systematic investing, send us an email with the word question in the subject line to info at toptradersunplugged.com and we'll try to get it on the show.